Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Watch your back, son. I'm Luke. I'm Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Captain Captain Janeway of the USS Voyager. Welcome. The Greatest Generation. It's a Star Trek podcast by a couple of guys who are uh, have trembles about having a Star Trek podcast. I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Big hit of an episode. This type of episode, right? Everyone yeah. loves the Brown Zone. I take it you're in charge here. Team Leader Brown, Fourth Board Defense Contingent. I gotta get a pump. That's it. Get it. Nobody has ever complained. <laughs> I feel like it's other episodes that people complain. Like when we do yeah. tons of research, people don't like that. No. I feel like that's more divisive than Brone Zones. It absolutely is. Yeah. Universally, people love the Brone Zone. Tin Mam. They do. <laughs> if you don't know what we're talking about, if you if you just happen to have made this your first episode of Greatest Generation. Wow. I can't even imagine. <laughs> I want to make sure I show grace and consideration to those viewers. But uh, go back and listen to episode 423. That's about Star Trek Voyager season four, episode four. It's called The Brone Zone. That's mighty thoughtful of you. And you might have your mind blown with just how significant of an episode that was to our lives. <laughs> One of the greats. Yeah, so go back, get your mind blown by the brown, mm-hmm. and uh, when you're done with that, you can come back here, and this could be your second episode of The Greatest Generation. Yeah, get yourself brown blown. <laughs> oh, You should be so lucky. Yeah, yeah. It's been a long time. Boy, I'm, uh, <laughs> I'm having one of those days where I'm trying to pack... I mean, I think this will be distant past by the time this comes out, but we're about to go do the re-encounter at Farpoint. But I'm going to be on the East Coast for like a week ahead of that. Yeah. So I've got family visits and some vacation, but also I'm bringing stuff so that I can record episodes while we're out there. And packing for Darone. Like, is Darone's suitcase the biggest? What's this? I said take only what you need to survive. I don't think it's the biggest, but Darone has the most needs like we have yeah. to bring a portable crib and we have to bring the stroller slash car seat thing there's a lot of like big otherwise impractical objects that go along with bringing Daron. on the last flight i took i was in the jetway behind a couple of new parents jesus man i don't like to hear that you're supposed to be up in the plane parents of a child about the age of Jerome, I don't, uh-huh. I, I can't guesstimate ages and sizes and so forth. <laughs> but they were so cranky with each other. Like the the act of traveling was so difficult on that particular day for them. I ached for them, and what a bad day they were having. And I really hope that you and Jerome and your lovely wife can like your travels are are more chill than that because it so. it just seemed like to these two strangers every little thing was something to set them off. Every little thing just makes us angry. Right on down to, like, folding the stroller at the end of the jetway, like, (laughs) not doing that right. And where's it going? And are they going to put it under the plane? And, like, all those questions that you have. Like, you've traveled with Daron before. None of this should be a surprise. Yeah, I mean, I think that there's, like, the... You travel a lot for work, and then you're traveling... With your partner, and your partner doesn't travel the same way that you do. Like, uh, yeah. a, a lot of the things that you have set up in your mind as like a given 
uh, for travel have to become a discussion? Like, yeah. are we going to get a cab? Are we, you know? Like, I think my lucky stars every time I travel that my wife is an aisle person and I'm a window. Like, I don't yeah. know if this could work if we were both one or the other. <laughs> there'd be a lot of, there'd be even more resentments than there are right now. Yeah. So I think that like adding a baby to the natural frisson of two different people having slightly different styles of yeah. going through an airport and getting on an airplane is uh, only exacerbated when there is a helpless little one to uh, worry about the entire time. What is the threshold of helpless little and needing a seat on an airplane on their own? I think you have to get them a seat. When they are two. Uh-huh. And they're checking IDs. Yeah. I, <laughs> but we aren't getting Daron a seat this time. And it's going to be a very different experience because last time we flew with Daron, that little tyke was a very sleepy, very little baby. He, yeah. he didn't walk. He didn't really have the ability to move around much. Now he's neither. Right. Yeah. I mean, he can't walk yet, but he can crawl. And uh, he has thoughts about what he would like to be doing at any given moment. The floor of an airplane is famously a great place to put your bare hands and feet. <laughs> yeah. And uh, there's lots of things on airplanes that you want to put in your mouth. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, he's definitely at the phase where any object that gets within arm's reach is going right in the kisser. That seatbelt is going to get some action, I think. Yeah. So, uh <laughs> The level of planning is getting really staggeringly complicated. I'm very grateful we're not taking merch to the re-encounter at Farpoint show because uh, yeah. having to schlep that along with everything else seems like it might make this impossible. This show is going to be an experiment in a lot of ways. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Looking forward to gathering some learnings. <laughs> yeah. There. Well, before, uh, before we fast rock to the cluster mark, that is the bell house, Adam. We should review an episode of Star Trek Voyager. Uh, what do you say we get into season six, episode six? Wait, is it episode five? Did I write it down wrong? I've got episode five. Fuck. <laughs> I am, I'm so focused on my Vori tellings that my clerical shit has fallen entirely off the rails. Yeah. Yeah, let's tighten that up. Oh, well. We're doing Alice at least, right? Alice. Reverse course. Unless you've got something a little bigger in your torpedo tubes. I'm not turning around. <laughs> Our cold open is set on the bridge where Tom Paris tries to figure out just how far in the before Tuvok was born. Yeah. Along with Ensign Kim. I mean, a lot of people don't realize this, but Tuvok, pretty gray. Yeah. Their guesses are way off. Probably as way off as mine would be. I feel like these are good guesses. They seem to be making educated guesses. Like they know right. when. Like you were in Star Trek Six. That was <laughs> a long ass time ago, Tuvok. <laughs> right. He does not greet their guesses brightly. No. He does not want to play this game. I see no reason to enlighten you. They pick something up on long range sensors and they think they may be glimpsing a Starfleet that could be dangerous. This feels automatic, right? Like as soon as the ship goes to red alert, Chakotay and Janeway appear, which makes me wonder, what were they doing? 
Mm. One of our more interesting missions. Did they come out of Janeway's office? They come out of the same door. Yeah. I think Chukote was trying to fathom what kind of bathtub would really turn her crank. This may be multifaceted, three-dimensional workplace romance chess I'm playing, but like... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe if something's happening, they want to come out the same door because if they were conspicuous about coming out of of two different doors, maybe that's a sign that something's up. Like they're trying too hard to cover up a thing. Like coming out of the same door, there's nothing to hide. That's pretty sharp, Adam. Right? I think that's clever. Yeah. Keep your top low and your glimpse wide. So when they get the fullness of the readings of these ships, they realize this is not the nemesis that we're glimpsing here. No. Now they're being signaled by an enthusiastic salesperson. Yeah. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, greeting. And in his tellings, we learn that this is a repository of lost treasures. And he really greets them brightly, this guy. Abaddon's repository of lost treasures is open for business. And they uh, are, you know, welcomed in and uh, asked to look around, see if there's anything that uh, strikes their fancy. Didn't you get... Just a little bit of Echo Papa 607 salesperson vibe from this guy. <laughs> and follow-up question, isn't every salesperson kind of an Echo Papa 607 vibed person? Yeah. Kind of feel that way. When Abaddon greets Neelix, he makes that observation and passes the Echo Papa 607 transitory property. Yeah. Uh, right over to a member of the crew. Yeah. Neelix maybe disappoints this salesperson that uh, he doesn't really do commerce anymore, but it is clear he's happy to take a bump of it today, you know? <laughs> <laughs> like, they, they have a real uh, familiar jocularity with each other as salespeople from back in the day. Yeah, so this is like a space pick and pull where there's a bunch of junk there, and it's a, like, see if anything is of interest. Abaddon is kind of a scary-looking guy. Like, he's very friendly, but he has loaf that is sort of a midpoint between Borgs and Jem'Hadars. Remember what the Cardis used to look like? Like, version one Cardis with, like, the... Yeah, that, like, head cage thing. It kind of evoked that similarity to me, but... We we get some close-ups with this guy later. It kind of looked like hair. Was this hair? That was hair? Kind of looked like hair. Man, I totally, when I glimpsed that, I saw metal. Yeah. I mean, it could be, you know, like brushed aluminum. That doesn't look like hair, but it looks like it's got it's got grain or whatever. Right. Maybe we're both right. Perhaps. Maybe this is a metal, but it's, it's grained in such a way that it looks hairy. <laughs> Tell you what, I'd prefer that this guy shave that shit off, though. Yeah. Yeah, get rid of it, Abaddon. <laughs> we cut over to the ass lab where this pick and pull is in progress. You know, you gotta, you gotta see what might be available to you. And Paris finds an old rust bucket out there in the junkyard, and yeah. he falls for this thing immediately. It doesn't look like much on screen. What, are you kidding? Look at those lines. It's a work of art. One thing I do know is that you don't want to let the salesperson at the dealership know the fullness of your love for a vehicle. Right. That's how you get an upturned deal, Ben. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> yeah. You don't want that. You got to be willing to walk. You got to be willing to fast walk out of the dealership, right? 
Right. So there's a McLaughlin group with Chakotay. Issue one. They've uh, given him the list of all the stuff that they've spotted in this junkyard that they would like to trade for. Neelix uh, gets like the elbow to the ribs from Paris and adds this one last thing. This shuttle, this uh, this beautifully lined uh, vehicle that Paris has just fallen head over heels for. Chakotay pushes back by saying, we have a full complement of shuttles. I immediately wanted to send Chakotay to Six Bay after this comment, <laughs> just for a general checkup on how his brains are doing. This seemed wrong. Yeah, they may have been nullified if, uh, <laughs> if he doesn't remember. He has personally, like, what's his shuttle body count? Four? <laughs> it gotta be. Easily four. I would, I would guess maybe closer to ten. Yeah. The other thing about this scene is that, you know, lest we forget, Paris is on probation. Right. If I were grounded when I was a child and I piped up about wanting to have uh, pizza for dinner or something, <laughs> fuck me. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm grounded. So what exactly is the probation period like for, for Paris at this point? He seems to be able to do whatever he wants and get, like, favors whenever he wants. Yeah. He's uh, really acting like Lieutenant Paris when he's wearing Ensign Paris colors. It's true. Yeah. Yeah. The shuttle is a bit of a manual transmission situation, though. It's got a neurogenic interface. And... With that, you can sort of jack into the pilot where uh, all the controls come automatically. Unfortunately, this is a shuttle that can't distinguish between like a semi-truck and a jersey barrier. So <laughs> you're going to want to keep one hand on the wheel while you're uh, into the neurogenic interface, right? Yeah, Abaddon has, uh, has tweeted a lot about the like really amazing capabilities of this shuttle, but the real world is a little bit different from the uh, reality distortion field of the uh, entrepreneur behind it. I think Chicote does a pretty good job at blowing this back. Like, you, you're on probation. You don't have time for this. You have regular duties both to please that booty and, like, do your job. <laughs> And Paris is like, look, I may or may not have a committed relationship that I can just throw away anytime I have a new hobby I'm interested in. <laughs> and look at Kim. It's not like he's doing anything. Right. Let me do this on my own time. And that's persuasive enough for Chakotay to be like, moneyless society. Let's get it. Sounds great. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Chakotay is probably also just thinking about like giving some of the ladies on the crew a little bit of a break <laughs> uh -huh. for a few weeks. Yeah. Yeah. If Kim's off the board, everyone else is free to uh, heal up. <laughs> of course, it's locked in. Do it. Listen to me very carefully because I'm only going to say this once. Do it. Abaddon drills Paris a little bit on some of the things he's going to need to know about this. Shuttle. He's, he's got a fondness for it. And, uh, you know, he's telling them about the sort of like temperamental drive system and whatnot. But uh, he's really optimistic that Paris is the right buyer for this shuttle. Have you ever sold a car to a person? No. What's an example of a thing that you've sold that was like a high value item that, that you had like a personal connection with? Because I've sold cars before to people and you definitely have this conversation with them that's like, you're trying to 
to give them the cheat code for the thing that you love. Right. But after it's over, like, you know, they don't care. That was just for you. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that you get it a lot the other way too. Like when we were in the market for a house, you know, our, our letter to the seller, I think got us, uh, like, I think they, the people selling our house had a, had a better offer on the table and uh-huh. it took hours because they liked us more. God, I wish the person who owned my home previously were more honest about how much of it was a manual transmission with <laughs> a sticky clutch, you know? I'm finding <laughs> sticky clutches all over the place. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they actually built this thing. There's like a there's a standing shuttle in a room that we get to see a bunch of different times and in a bunch of different states of disrepair and repair. Yeah. And I loved this for this episode. Like they did a great job building this. I mean, it's like sort of like halfway between a prop and a set, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the only thing missing from this tableau is like a Ronnie James Dio song playing in the back, you know? <laughs> like all garages have to do legally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't glimpse any like, you know, calendars with uh, bikini babes standing in front of other cars hanging in the shuttle bay. Yeah. Excuse me. Uh, that's Vanessa and that's mine. I've never been one to name any vehicle of mine, but. Paris comes down on the name Alice, named after Alice Battisti, someone he knew from the Academy who gave him the trembles because she was intelligent and beautiful and also wasn't interested in him. (laughs) (laughs) That was the only one, Paris? Mm. Alice Battisti sounds pretty tasty. Yeah. She sounds great, actually. She had the good sense to, to not fall into bed with Paris. I love how sly Harry is in this scene, acting like he doesn't know Alice Batiste. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, she didn't go with you? What was her name again? (laughs) Harry Kim knows them all, Tom Paris. (laughs) (laughs) He could draw them from memory. Something about it reminds me of being in the womb. Get up, Harry. Who are you? Harry Kim. Parents must be very proud. Who are you? They come as come as a pair. Who are you? Harry Kim. Who else is she supposed to get chummy with? Harry Kim. And your mom? Very proud. Who are you? Harry Kim. I lasted 22 minutes. And your mom? Very proud. Harry Kim. Who are you? Harry Kim. So they do a little wrenching, a little uh, little goofing around, you know, plug in some power cells here, turn on some neurogenic links there. It's going to be workable, but it's not working right now. So they uh, they call it a night. Paris wishes Alice uh, a good night and says he'll see her tomorrow. And um, we get like a predator analysis of voice moment where the computer is <laughs> like showing what his skull looks like and then what his brains looks like. And it seems to have analyzed his brain and figured out what a lady voice that sounds sexy would sound like to a Tom Paris. Good evening, Dave. Everything's running smoothly. I mean, mission accomplished. <laughs> I think Alice does a great job. She could work the phones at a 900 number with a voice like this. I love the weird science style depiction of Tom Paris's face. That's fun. Yeah. It's great. Very good. So he's like up late working on a pad and is beckoned by somebody, something. And, um, you know, he goes out into the hallway. He sees uh, 
a butt, you know, like going going around a corner. You see that butt and you think that's the butt that's calling for him, right? That's got to be the butt that's calling for him. You could run, Paris, but instead he kind of fast walks after this person. Was it clear to you whether or not this was corporeal Alice or was this just a rando that he was following and then inside he runs into Alice? I think based on the costume, it's, it's you know, corporeal enough to him. It looked like a different butt. Oh, you think it's a different butt? I don't know. Huh. I don't want to be known as a butt racist, but I, <laughs> I feel like these two butts were distinct. Based on the fleet colors of the butt, I'm guessing it's the same butt. Yeah. In the cargo bay, we just get a shot of Paris and no reverse shot. No reverse shot. And there's a voice that introduces itself as Alice. And Paris seems very happy to be there. Yeah. And then it's like the next day and Paris is showing up for work on cleaning the shuttle up and getting it working. And this is a very fun montage, you know, rubbing dirt off the off the view screen and taking components out and putting new components in and wrenching. Uh, I really like the music cue in this. Yeah. I really like the depiction of Tom Paris being the kind of gearhead who's like, I don't only want to fix what's broken and make non-functional things work. Like, I want to clean as I go. Right. I want this thing looking good too. And it's fun to watch him care about those things also. I mean, but what's fun about that is that like in almost equal proportion, he lets himself go also, <laughs> you know? Yeah, he's he's given everything to this shuttle. It's almost like he looks too gray to be of use. Yeah, it's true. But then he replicates himself some new fleet colors at him. This looks like one of those suits you wear into a sauna when you're trying to cut weight ahead of a a wrestling meet. <laughs> this is not flattering. I love that there's something distinct about Paris having moved into full like Alice worship mode. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this would have been so cool if it were like a little tighter. Yeah, it's it's a little dumpy around the waist area. And yeah, it doesn't look good on him. I don't fathom why he did this. But at the same time, the episode does a lot of work in like downplaying whatever sexual relationship might be happening here. Sure. Paris doesn't want to fuck the shuttle. He's not a dragon. Even though the corporeal version of Alice is very attractive. Right. But like if Paris showed up and he had like a V-shaped torso form-fitting, you know, like metallic colored jumpsuit where he looked ripped and exploded in it. I think there's an uncomfortable virility with what that would suggest. If he needed to like present himself as attractive in the way that Alice does also, that's a subtext maybe that we don't want here. So maybe the dumpiness does the story a favor. Harry Kim finds Paris glimpsing a schematic in engineering and Harry Kim is in his own uh, different colors than normal. He looks like a public school janitor to me. <laughs> well, he's dressed up to play a part in a Captain Proton game, 
and he thinks Tom has like changed up the Captain Proton look, which actually I was like, this kind of looks more like Captain Proton than it does future cool like flight suit. Yeah. Yeah. They've got holodeck nemeses to vanquish. (laughs) And when they glimpse each other, they're like, it looks like they're both dressed and ready to go, but this sucks. This is two straight hangs that Paris has blown off. It's not not nice. He's not down for any fun in the Protonoverse. He just wants to mess around with Alice the shuttle. Yeah. Kim doesn't seem hurt by this in the way that maybe I wanted him to be. I guess this frees Kim up to go fuck around. Yeah, he's... <laughs> He's going to have a different kind of adventure with Arachnia. Right. <laughs> he was stating the obvious again. Hey, eight hands, Ben. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> More fun for him and the Delaney sisters. Yeah. Give the queen my regards. Captain Over in the mess hall, Seven tells Neelix about the, the star charts that they received. Yeah. They're bad. They aren't glory directions at all. No, they weren't too sharp on this deal. That's not the only thing. Yeah. The artifacts they received are crap too. Or at least they seem like crap, but uh, Seven does a fun antiques roadshow moment with a dusty ingot that Neelix has there. It turns out it's a beryllium crystal. Crystals! That's real valuable. You could buy an entire Starfleet with what he's got there on the shelf. Dusty ingot is like the name of a boner pill. (laughs) That would be great, right? Yeah. It's actually the name I give when I check into a hotel a lot of the time. I'll just order those through the mail. My my dusty ingots come in uh, (laughs) anonymous packaging. (laughs) Neelix is like, oh man, that sucks. We should give it back. And Seven reminds Neelix that all trades are final. So she walks away and... Tom Paris fast walks in to replicate himself a bottle of champagne. Yeah, he wants to smash that bottle all over Alice. Like a rap video. But uh, their date's going to be a three-way because BLT is going to be joining that party too. Yeah. They trade some some tellings about what it's like to have your own ship. And, uh, you know, Neelix is making jokes at the expense of his old ship. I love this scene because why has the show forgotten all about Neelix's own personal ship, which is still aboard Voyager? Yeah. I would like more adventures to to bring it into the fold. Like, let's do stuff with it more often. How big of a piece of shit must Neelix's ship be for Paris to have no interest in fixing it up and, <laughs> and hot rodding it? You didn't notice Paris was kind of like... Kind of quiet when Neelix said that he thought it was the ugliest thing he'd ever seen, right? Yeah. Am I making any sense here? <laughs> so we finally see BLT in this episode, and she goes down with Paris, and we get the big reveal. We glimpse the ship in its fullness for the first time, all cleaned up. Looks great. It's painted Miami Marlins teal. <laughs> like, this is a very late 90s color, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. Very popular. Yeah. Ship looks awesome. Uh, They decide not to smash the champagne bottle against it, probably because it was made out of like balsa wood by the props department. Yeah, they do pop it inside, though. Yeah. And turns out they're just a few days away from the first flight. That's a big moment for any flying machine. First flight will be in the soon after. And uh, Paris is like 
you know, a little nervous about that situation. There's still a lot to be done. He's also a little nervous that Belana has spilled some champagne on the upholstery. That Naga hide's not going to buff itself out. It doesn't look like this is a cloth interior. No. So I think that'll wipe right up. Yeah. Chill the fuck out, Paris. Come on. This is like the moment your special person hears what voice you've given to Siri in your phone. Because as soon as Alice starts talking, BLT is like, whoa. <laughs> That's what you like? I see you chose hot Australian female. <laughs> Interesting. That's some voice. Came with a ship. I was interested in the fact that BLT did not seem to be jealous at all before the uh, the wine-smashing ceremony. Mm-hmm. But she really gets the trembles when this voice comes out. Yeah. She gets the shocks, too, when she hits the door button. Ah! She gets a little wharf lightning there to the hand. Doesn't seem like Tom is too concerned over that. Yeah, that's rough. I don't like the way Paris is treating her in this exact moment. I think when your person gets hurt, you gotta at least make an attempt. <laughs> Add some empathy there, right? You do. I'll see you later. So Paris meets up with Chicote in Chicote's quarters with a list of parts that he would like to assemble to continue the repairs on the shuttle. There's a bunch more stuff that he's going to need to actually get it space-worthy. And Chicote has some rages to share in this scene. You've got an emergency kit, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone needs to have an emergency kit, and I'll often raid mine for, uh, you know, the odd cup noodles pack mm-hmm. or or whatever, or a granola bar. Every time you need a Band-Aid, you go into that thing. <laughs> and this is what Chicote is pushing back on with Paris. He's like, look, all of these cup noodles you want to stock Alice with, like, we kind of need those in case of emergency. That's the whole point of having an emergency kit. <laughs> Paris can't get on this level, though. No. Chicote's also calling him on showing up late for work at the uh, six bay and being distracted when he's on duty on the bridge. You know, he's looking a little scruffy. He's got a little bit of a after five shadow going. Paris is ordered, basically, to go get some sleep. And... Uh, Accepts that, you know, Chakotay is making a good point and leaves and marches right down to the shuttle bay and uh, meets up with Alice. And we actually get to see her in her fullness this time. Yeah. Wow. Glimpse her. It's a really fun effect because he like walks in and the camera does a 360 and she's like not in there when he first walks in. But by the time the camera finishes spinning around him. She's leaning against the shuttle. She's in her own fleet colors, just like the ones he replicated. Yeah. And uh, they really seem to have something steamy going on. This moment has that new relationship smell where it's like, you know, sleep would be better for your health, but fucking would feel great. (laughs) And so, like, you sacrifice all other matters for the companionship of Alice. Right. And Alice is all too happy to be like, yeah, why don't you sit down in this weird chair and try out the interface? Yeah. That'll make you feel better. Better than sleep in a shave. Yeah. Really got suck disc energy the way she's coaxing him to turn on the interface. Just for a minute, you won't regret it. 
This is great casting because her voice is very hypnotic. And Paris sure does seem hypnotized by her, especially in this moment. Who do you say we continue with those repairs? Nothing creepy about this. We don't check up on each other in Voyager. You know? No. Like, cut back to Chakotay, looking at a pad, like, following the dot of Tom Paris out of his quarters (laughs) and into the shuttle bay. (laughs) And then the camera moves down to Chakotay's hand and there's a pencil in it. (laughs) I can't be happy about this. You gotta tend your crew. Yeah. Chicote's pretty hands-off. That's what she says. So it seems like some time has gone by, and when we cut, Paris is now shrouded, taking the parts that he wanted for himself. He's sneaking around in Jeffrey's tubes, grabbing stuff out of secondary systems. On the sly. Yeah. Not a good look for him. Alice's hold on Paris is sturdy, isn't it? Sure is. <laughs> And it seems at this point in time that, like, there's actual puppet mastering happening. I don't think Paris would do this if he were in full control of his faculties, right? No, his top doesn't seem to be fully engaged at this point. And uh, he gets caught in the ass lab by seven, and he's got, like, a a course charted (laughs) through a bunch of star systems. She's like, I saw the course you had charted there. And he's like, what course? What are you talking about? Yeah. He did not switch tabs fast enough. <laughs> yeah. He uh, he tried to click over to a tab that w- just said trunks. He was on Course Hub and uh <laughs> couldn't switch off of it fast enough. That's what happens when you're when you're looking at Course Hub with your AirPods in also. Mm. You know, you don't hear people walking in to the ass lab. Right. Well, I'm glad my uh studio's in a different building. Indeed. <laughs> it's Sato. So Seven expresses some concerns about the interface, the neural link that this shuttle has. And Paris is just trying to get out of there and isn't really all there enough to do this. So Alice has to sort of Cyrano de Bergerac him out of the situation. And this is like, you know, like the world's simplest blow off. But I feel like it says a lot about Paris's top that he isn't able to do this by himself. Yeah, he's been diminished by his cravings. No kidding. You might have heard us talk about Squarespace before and you're thinking, what do I need a website for? I already have a bunch of profiles across the different social medias. But isn't it time you had a place online that wasn't owned by a social media company? How about you take control of your online identity with a website of your own? For that, there's Squarespace. With Squarespace, you can buy a URL and build a customized website with your name, and not a giant social media company's name, with your name attached and a bunch of numbers at the end. With Squarespace, you can have a place on the internet personalized to your aesthetic that lets you tell people about who you are instead of an algorithm. And the best part is, you don't have to be an experienced designer or a web page creator to make something great because Squarespace is always there for you with their award-winning 24 by 7 customer support. Don't settle for being another company's product. Be your own product with a website that's all you with Squarespace. 
Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, use the offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com. The code is SCARVES. Think it. Dream it. Make it with Squarespace. A good time so often has a downside, doesn't it? Especially when it comes to stuff that you put in your birdie. We've all been hungover before. I mean, many of us have, I guess. Or we've had too much jazz in our gummy. And that sucks, right? Because you don't think about the time after the good time that you've been trying to have a good time. That's why I like Lumi Labs so much. It's the predictability. Through painstaking trial and error, I have found my perfect dose. It's what I can depend on when I can use a little more chill, a little help getting into a creative headspace, and I don't need to have too much fun doing whatever it is I need to be doing. And I'm so glad that Microdose is available nationwide. That means just about anyone can try it. To learn more about microdosing THC, go to microdose.com and use the code SCARVES to get free shipping and 30% off your first order. Again, that's microdose.com and the code is SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. There are three things to remember about being a Starship captain. Keep your shirt tucked in. Go down with the ship and do it. Do it. Do it. In engineering, I really like this conversation between BLT and Kim because what she does is underscore a feeling we've had for seasons and seasons, which is, why is it that Paris chooses literally anything else to do besides be with BLT? (laughs) (laughs) She's starting to get the trembles that their relationship is not sturdy. And she asks Harry Kim, like, you're supposed to be his best friend. Like, what's this about? And he has this anecdote of the five stages of acquisition, which is a Ferengi concept about how you go through having a thing. It's easy to remember, Ben. All you need to remember is edge hour. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah. The first stage is infatuation. The second stage is justification. The third is appropriation. And then obsession. And then finally, resale. Yeah. 
How differently do you look at your past relationships if you realize that you weren't dumped necessarily? It was resale is what it was. (laughs) That kind of makes the sting better. I interpreted this as being about the shuttle, not about their relationship. I thought he was saying he's about to resell this thing. Oh, no, that's not how I saw it at all. Yeah. I thought this is a relationship thing. Oh. Uh, what? What's the first letter in infatuation, by the way? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Well, we don't have to stay with that thought for too long. I don't want to cause your trembles to turn to rages. <laughs> You're the worst. BLT goes I down. was like, why is there a squiggly red line under how I wrote that word? <laughs> uh, we'll never know. Um, don't infantilize me, Ben. <laughs> I, I I don't mean to do that. Uh, <laughs> BLT goes down to the shuttle to see, because they're told by the computer that there's some variance in the warp manifold or some shit. And so BLT realizes that a bunch of parts are missing from a bunch of key backup systems and goes down to the shuttle bay, knowing full well who took these parts. And it's classic horror movie don't go in the house shit when she walks inside the shuttle and the door slams shut behind her and then you know she can't open the door and she asks the shuttle to open the door and I'm sorry Dave I'm afraid I can't do that atmospheric systems fail her communicator doesn't work Alice is kind of howling isn't she she really is yeah Alice won't open the pod bay doors she won't do it at all. Or just the pod doors, right? It's not even the bay part. It's just the pod. Yeah. Yeah. So Alice is unshrouded as a murderer and very lucky that Paris, like, hoopty doos into the shuttle bay right at this moment, sees her banging on the glass and opens the door. And uh, she, she stumbles out into the hallway. She doesn't even want to be in the bay anymore. Paris doesn't believe women. She tells him that the ship tried to kill her, and he's not trying to hear that. Yeah. He's like, what are you wrestling with, BLT? And uh, she really calls him on this at this point. She's like, that thing was about to have me upturned. It uh, was doing it on purpose. You're spending all your time toiling on that thing (laughs) instead of, and then she points down, toiling on this. (laughs) Man, he really has like drug addicts being confronted energy, right? Like because of how he grabs her and yells at her, like right in her face. Yeah, I didn't like this scene. It's a bad scene for Paris. He like sides with shuttle. Yeah, <laughs> in this moment, and BLT heads right up to talk to Janeway about what went on, but uh, Alice stays with Paris and. Is like, you know, like the only way you're going to feel better is by getting a neural scan. This is a really crucial scene because this is the moment where Paris tries to resist, right? Right. There's a little crack in the Alice armor where he's like, yeah, I, I really should go to Six Bay. I really should go get scanned. And as soon as that crack appears, Alice tortures him into going back along with her into the shuttle bay. It 
looks really painful. Those like ridges that appear on his forehead when she's yeah. zapping him. Yeah. Oof. Doesn't look fun. And so, uh, yeah, they head right back to the shuttle bay and BLT is up in Janeway's office reporting what just happened and explaining how Paris is not sleeping, how he's uh, really got the trembles, how he's acting more like he's a novice than like he's gray. Janeway's like, I don't know what you want me to do. I've already demoted him. (laughs) I'm out of ideas. She's sort of in the middle of saying, well, we'll look into it when they get a report from the bridge that an unauthorized shuttle launch has been detected. And uh, they go up on on the bridge. And sure enough, Alice and Paris have uh, absconded and are uh, fast walking away from the ship. They can't show this on the view screen that Paris is inside Alice and everyone's watching. This has got to really hurt for BLT to see this. Yeah, yeah. He's got his trunk right inside her. They try to tractor them back, but Paris is on board. Like, he knows all the tricks. Yeah. And he's modified his fleet colors even more to have special connectors in the chest that make him even more integrated with the ship. And this disrupts the tractor beam once it connects. Once you're at a music festival and you start putting on the the glow ropes, mm. you can't be caught. You're just in your own world. <laughs> and that's the visual language here for Tom Paris. He's gone full glow rope. Yeah. yeah he's shooting glow ropes. That's what he's yeah. doing. Yeah. And now they're one. And now he's like attacking Voyager. He's shooting them. Like, when did he get drilled on 40 weapons? That's a great question. Like... We never hear at all about the armament of Alice. Yeah, but the armament is there, and uh, he licks some shots at Voyager and gets out of there. And when we come back, like, Alice is finishing up telling him, like, a an abridged version of the myth of Daedalus that leaves out important Icarus-based information. Yeah. And the camera, like, pulls back and... Uh, the glow rope situation has gotten really out of control. <laughs> Paris has been dancing a long time. He can't feel his arms or his legs anymore. He's positively covered in these rave ropes. <laughs> what he needs is some water and a little bit of a sit down. Right. More than anything. Maybe a, an orange wedge. Yeah. He needs to chill out. Yeah. That's for sure. Yeah. It doesn't look like he's going to get any kind of a break, though. Alice really wants to party. These glow ropes are coming out of his chest like plantings. Back on Voyager, they've rolled up on Abaddon's shipyard, and this time Abaddon isn't happy to talk. No. That is until Neelix shows him the lost treasure that they were accidentally given, and the idea of a trade back in this moment is suddenly back on the table. This is an interesting choice, showing the beryllium crystal up against the blue screen because they had to key out the part of the blue screen that goes through it and it it doesn't quite yeah. refract the light of Abaddon's office on the view screen the way it's supposed to. It's a challenge for sure. It's It really looks unusual in this shot. So they have another McLaughlin group. Issue two. This time Abaddon is there and uh, he does not greet them quite as brightly. 
Turns out Abaddon has his own Alice. I hope you haven't forgotten me. She's in the meeting too and <laughs> is telling Abaddon how to act, what to do. Pretty clear that uh, Abaddon is as much under the sway of this lady as Paris is. Did you get the sense that this was more of an acid flashback Alice versus Alice actual? Or do you think that Alice is able to exist both on the shuttle for Paris and in the meeting for Abaddon? I wondered about that. Like, is there a a lingering psychic connection still? Yeah. And like, how, like, what's the range on that? Yeah. I kind of think that the acid flashback read might be the right thing. That or Alice has become a power to mm-hmm. Abaddon in some way. In the Vori sense of a religious slash God concept. Right. I knew where you were going with that. <laughs> Thanks. You know who's not having flashbacks at this meeting? Neelix. No. Because Abaddon brings up the fact that a Hakonian was the type of person that traded the ship with him. And that's the species that genocided Neelix's race. Whoa. On that planet. Damn, really? Neelix doesn't even flinch at this knowledge. Wow. Oh, but he does slide the crystal back in his pocket. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, this ship is positively haunted. That's what we learn. Yeah. Abaddon has like a a brain hemorrhage and down in six bay. He's like, yeah, like, so I was just as sprung off this ship as Paris was and I had to get it out of my shipyard because it was just torturing me. Yeah, cerebral hemorrhage probably makes you rope pretty good, right? Mm. Looks like Alice got to him too. Indeed. In the now and in the hereafter. He almost roped himself to death in that meeting. <laughs> yeah, I hope they would have, uh, you know, turned him to the earth so that he could go to the hereafter. Yeah, then you're just roping straight into the ground right. where it belongs. <laughs> Interesting, like, backstory to the Alice idea is that Alice is a shuttle with a personality that's very attractive, but Alice can't fly herself. Yeah. Needs a compatible pilot, and Abaddon was not that. Abaddon could fall in love with Alice, but Abaddon could not fully control Alice. Abaddon is is the older person in a relationship with a youthful, vivacious Mm -hmm. counterpart who just wants to fuck all the time. And Abaddon can't keep up. I couldn't get her to where she needed to go. It's just the old cliche, like how many times are old dudes writing scripts in Hollywood going to give us this depiction of the manic pixie dream shuttle? Right. <sighs> so tired of it. When you get to be that age, you're ordering your beryllium ingots through the mail just to keep up. <laughs> <laughs> but Abaddon punched out before going quite that far. In the Aslev, Seven of Nine has reconstructed the flight path that Paris was figuring out when she caught him red-handed. So they're going to go follow where Paris went. And uh, at the end of it is a thing called a particle fountain, which Janeway says has cost the Federation dozens of ships. Janeway takes a look at this thing and she's like, You know, a particle fountain is just urine, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
A Dr. Bashir stationed on Deep Space Nine has done extensive research into this. <laughs> Particle fountain's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it looks great. It's also very dangerous, which is what makes Alice's ship approaching it seem kind of fraught yeah. for Tom Paris. Doesn't seem very sharp for him to be on board for when that happens. Alice tells him that they're home. Her home, clearly. Yeah, Alice lives here. Paris doesn't think to ask about where he's going to be staying. No, this thing is dangerous as fart. He doesn't really care or know, but uh, they can't shoot his shuttle. Like, they catch up real quick. Did you quick. just say dangerous as fart? Yeah, did I ever tell you that story? No. My dad was visiting some cousins in, in the deep south in his childhood, and they, like, had one of those, like, seen in a movie moments where they were going to walk across a rail bridge in a, you know, like that oh, yeah. spanned a, a ravine. Yeah, they were going to stand by me a, a trellis. Any of you guys know the next tree is to? My dad started out on the, uh, <laughs> on the rail bridge and his cousin said, Sam, don't do that. That's dangerous as fart. <laughs> wow. What a moment. Yeah. <laughs> so my dad always says that because he thinks it's really funny. <laughs> that is. What a weird statement. <laughs> you know, that's someone who has had a fart become something else. <laughs> that is the source of that particular colloquialism, right? I'm pretty sure that the Vori say that too. I'm actually on Memory Alpha and oh, okay. on the Vori language page, there is an entry for dangerous as fart. So. Damn so Voyager has been hot on their tail. They've fast walked right after the Alice shuttle and they've picked up the Alice ship out there and they've seen that it's heading straight toward the particle fountain. And when Janeway hails the shuttle, Paris threatens to fire on them. And then he does. They cannot fire back because he's too integrated into the ship. And at, at yeah. this point, like he's, there are so many glow ropes. Yeah. It's just like, Comical. He's like the hostage in a bank robbery scene that's covered in glow ropes who's holding a gun to his own head. <laughs> Janeway doesn't know quite what to do here. Yeah. Because they don't want to risk killing him by shooting at the Alice shuttle. But, I mean, that particle fountain seems just as dangerous as anything else, right? Right. So they come up with the idea that they're going to try and hack the command systems on the shuttle, but they need to distract Paris and Alice to do that. Yeah. And so BLT is sent on an away mission inside Tom's head. And like the EMH puts a clip show device on her temple and sends her in there. There's coffee in that Tom signal. She gets in his nook and is trying to convince him to stop paying attention to what Alice is telling him. And this really works. Like the just the the tension between BLT and Alice turns his trembles to rages, I think. It is very hard for Paris to concentrate in this scene as both BLT and Alice are kind of angel-deviling him, right? Yeah, they do a lot of fun, like, pans where, you know, one of them is in his nook and a cam the camera pans over to his face and then back to the nook and it's the other one in there. Yeah, I really like how the effect is just a camera shot. Right. And an actor stepping out of the way and another one stepping in. Yeah. Just an actor covered in rave ropes to sell it. And he does. They succeed in getting the shields down on the shuttle. 
they uh, can't get it a lock initially because the the particle fountain is splashing yellow liquid all over the outside of the shuttle, and and you know they just can't quite get a lock. But then they uh, they boost the annular confinement, and they get them out of there, and the shuttle goes boom, and Alice goes to the way after. Chicote looks at the shuttle explode, and he's like, "Well, that doesn't count. That wasn't one of ours." So. Still a full complement of shuttles over here, right? <laughs> Am I right? And everybody on the bridge just kind of like looks away awkwardly. <laughs> Nobody will make eye contact with Chakotay. In Six Bay, we learn that Paris is going to recover in a few days. And BLT's there. And decides in this moment to give him the get well card from Naomi Wildman, which is a terrible card. Yeah, she gives him a hope your trembles end soon card that Naomi Wildman made. How could Paris not feel worse about what he did after seeing this card? This doesn't help <laughs> Naomi Wildman. He's, he's already ashamed enough. Yeah. Imagine having your greatest shame revealed to a kid Ugh. who sees fit to like draw you yeah. to make you feel better. I don't need your pity, Naomi Wildman. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, if you ever get sick, I'll definitely let Darone know never to send you a card, Adam. Yeah. And yeah, that card's going in the trash, Darone. Well, Paris is full of regrets. Yeah. But BLT is really cool about this. So much cooler than she should be, I think. <laughs> this scene feels very uh, post-assimilation-like, right? Remember when when Lacutus was turned back into Picard and, and he says he remembers everything. Right. So does Paris. Paris is really haunted by that. And like everybody around Picard, BLT is not really going to hold this episode <laughs> against him. Paris just needs a brother to roll around in the mud with. <laughs> and he'll come out clean on the other side. If I had to guess, he probably has a brother to roll around in crud with. Right. Yeah. I didn't say mud. I said crud. This is one of those scenes that made me wish Seven was in a little more of this episode, because if anyone could empathize with his plight, it would be her, right? Yeah. Or the Delta Flyer, you know? Like, that's the other woman in the situation. <laughs> really is. Those knobs have gone untouched for way too long. <laughs> Wouldn't you say? <laughs> yeah, those knobs are looking mighty savory. The final moment in this episode... Tell me if you caught this. Does Paris miss BLT's lips on this kiss? It looks like he goes wide. <laughs> like, it looks like he can't decide if he's going cheek or lips, so oh. he just kind of goes for the middle. Well, his, he was in the glare, and uh, he couldn't quite see where he was headed. That's where Alice likes to be kissed. Mm. In the middle ground, between lips and cheek. Yeah. <laughs> the face taint. <laughs> Did you like this episode, Adam? You know, I'm really easy to get along with most of the time. But I don't like bullets, I don't like friends, and I don't like you. Yeah, I like this episode as, as it is. Like, the story is interesting enough to have kept me interested in it. I think the unfortunate aspect to it is the ship is bad. Like, the Alice ship doesn't look good. And I wish it looked cooler. And so is the uniform. That baggy uniform and the ship that doesn't look cool are strikes against an episode that I think otherwise is, is fairly interesting. Like, yeah. it needed one more thing to really 
make this episode shine. And I think it's visual. Like the performances are there, the story's there. It just, it leaves me wanting a little bit. And maybe if they had made the ship an effect instead of a standing set, like that would have been better. Maybe. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's different about the technology now, but I do feel like if this was shot today, like there would have been a way cooler looking full-size shuttle model that they could walk around in. Yeah. But yeah, the fact that this is like very obviously just made out of like medium density fiberboard that's been like stapled together and painted teal definitely kind of sucks. I mean, the film paper defense of that is that the ship isn't supposed to look cool so that you know just how in the sway of Alice Paris has become. Like, that he's not attracted to the ship or in the ship's sway because it's badass and it's purely because of Alice's force of personality or whatever. Mm. Maybe that's what's really going on here. That's the excuse the episode could hide behind. Do you think that that goes to give weight to the theory that there is some sort of telepathic thing going on with Alice that... Yeah, I absolutely do. Like, he was into Alice before he'd even neural-linked with Alice. He didn't need the rave ropes to fall for her, that's for sure. Yeah. It just made the connection stronger, right? Yeah. They're panning around the, the junkyard, and the camera zooms in on a Pontiac Aztec, and Paris is like, oh, man... It's beautiful. And everybody turns to him and is like, what? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I had the beholder, right? (laughs) I guess so. Yeah. I I feel very much the same way. I think the script is really cool, but there's a couple of speed bumps in the execution just of the set. You know, the set and the costume really did it. Like, if we're being honest, like, I think the actor that they cast to play Alice did a great job. I think that Abaddon was a really cool character. Like, it was really that that ship, that hero prop needed to be great. And it was just mid. Abaddon is such a sad character in the end because, like, Alice never let him go. Alice made Abaddon recruit another pilot and then fucking cucked him. <laughs> that can't feel good. Yeah. Abaddon sitting at the other end of the couch while Paris just rails Alice in front of him. Yeah. Kind of a tragic figure there. Sad. With Abaddon. Maybe that's what he's into. Maybe that's like, maybe that's how he practices his relationship with Alice. Let's not shame Abaddon. Yeah. Yeah. He's growing out his face hair. and beating it while a shuttle gets fucked. (laughs) Whatever floats your boat, Abaddon. You want to see if there's anything in the Priority One inbox, Adam? Oh, yeah, those messages always float. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. But the interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first priority one message is from Gus, who has a favorite episode. Oh, okay. And the message goes to you and me. All right. And it looks like you've got some script notes here. Okay. So, uh, so the setting is the bridge. You want to play this with me? Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm seeing. Uh, we got a kind of a large cast, so we'll maybe just shout the. Let's pass it back and forth, but shout the name of the character that you're reading. 
And if you've already read that character, that's your character. Okay. Okay. So here's Riker. Damage report. Dr. Crusher. Casualty reports coming in from all over the ship. Data. The starboard nacelle has sustained a direct impact. We are venting drive plasma. LaForge. Initiating emergency core shutdown. Row. Inertial dampers failing. We're losing attitude control. Riker. This is the bridge. All hands to emergency escape pods. Hey, I, I'm now recognizing what episode this is from. <laughs> and that's the end of this message, Ben. What's what's the second priority one message? I think Riker is still speaking at the beginning of the second message, which is from Gus, and it's to us. All right, here's Riker picking it up. Core shutdown is unsuccessful. We are losing antimatter containment. LaForge, we've got to eject the core. Data. Ejection systems offline. Core breach is imminent. Picard. All hands, abandon ship. Repeat. All hands, abandon. Captain's log. Stardate 45652.1. The Enterprise has entered an area of space known as the Typhon Expanse. Great episode, Gus. Great episode. One of my favorite episodes. I literally was just watching Cause and Effect the other day because I was pulling a clip from it for Reencounter at Farpoint. Really? Yeah. How about that? People that have seen may remember the intro to Reencounter at mm-hmm. Farpoint. Mm-hmm. I needed to make the ship explode for the intro, and that was uh, the episode I chose to pull explosion footage from. Cause and effect, still a mountain episode for me. Yeah, it's a great episode. I don't know if anything's kicking that off of my mountain. It, it was kind of a, a maddening day because I was really racing to get all of the video stuff done because I'm traveling tomorrow and I just wasn't going to have time today. And I was like scrubbing around in cause and effect in my video editor. And at a certain point, I realized that I'd just been watching it for like 15 minutes. And I was like, fuck, I don't have time to do this. (laughs) And there are like six different explosions too. How'd you choose which explosion? Well, they show the explosion a bunch of different times, but it's like the same effects shot. They're just showing longer and shorter at the beginning and end, so. Yeah. It's one of the great explosions, too. I, I just remember that one nacelle. Yeah. Having watched it a bunch of times, you do see, like, one of the ropes that the yeah. ship model was hanging from. Yeah. <laughs> when the explosion was happening. Do you throw the pieces away if you work in that shop? Oh. I don't know how you can throw away the parts of the hero ship that you've exploded for an episode. No, I actually, um, I read that there was an auction and they sold them as a oh. lot. Like it's like a, a box full of the parts and uh-huh. um, Garrett Wong actually won damn it. the auction. Always. <laughs> yeah. One of those things. Can't wait to get invited over to Garrett Wong so I can see his massive collection yeah. of auction winnings. Yeah. That guy's got like a hangar bay full of, <laughs> full of auction winnings. Lucky guy. Yeah. Well, we feel a lot like Gus does about cause and effect, the way he maybe feels about the greatest generation. Hope so. That's because priority one messages are a great way to support the show. Be like Gus. Go to maximumfund.org slash jumbotron to get yours into the queue. Hey, Adam. What's that, Ben? Did you find yourself a drunk Shimoda? Incredible. Drunk Shimoda. I mean, it's obvious, but it's correct. 
<laughs> Paris is the Shimoda of this episode. Yeah. I mean, I I tried to come up with something more interesting, but at every turn, he is uh, completely out of his mind in yeah. the sway of those rave ropes. <laughs> what about you, Ben? I want to give it to Abaddon for letting a beryllium crystal yeah. go. That just seems like, you know, like if you are in the business of reselling like used items, you really got to know what you've got. Yeah. It's yeah. one thing for like a Goodwill to have a, you know, very highly sought after piece of mid-century modern furniture with a, you know, post-it on it that says it's 20 bucks. Uh-huh. Like those people don't make any money and no. they, they don't, aren't really there to assess actual real world resale value. They're just there to raise money for a charity. Yeah. But yeah. You know, if you own an antique store, if you own a repository of lost treasures, you got to know what the treasures are. Yeah. I mean, what is he doing out there if not cataloging all of that stuff? What do you spend your time doing, Abaddon? At the same time, though, Ben, Alice has got him wrapped around her little finger. Mm. He's recruiting. Yeah. He would pay five of those fucking crystals to get rid of Alice. Yeah. Sure would. Hey, do you think Alice died? When she says she went home, is the idea that that maybe she did go home and she lives inside the fountain now? The explosion was like the corporeal Alice leaving this plane of existence, but the electrical (laughs) signal went into the particle fountain. So often at the end of a Star Trek episode like this, there's like that moment of, So this weird alien we didn't understand is now home. And instead in this episode, everyone's like, great, she's dead. We've got Paris back. There's no recognition of a strange alien life. Yeah. Weird, huh? They never have the, is she as sentient as the doctor conversation. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely no science fiction curiosity about Alice here. No, she just wanted to go live in a stream of piss, and they're happy enough for her to do that as long as she doesn't take Paris with her. As long as you recognize that that's just piss. It's not anything else. (laughs) Adam, our next episode is season six, episode six, Riddles. The crew discovers a new side of Tuvok when an enemy attack leaves him stripped of his Vulcan sensibilities. Hmm. So he feels, again. I feel. I like a a Vulcan's emotionally fragile episode. Yeah. Or acting all crazy episode. We've gotten a couple of those on Voyager before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But that was, uh, who was that, Vorik? Yeah, who had the Ponfar. Yeah. They were using Tuvok's Ponfar instances to try and estimate his age. Yeah. In this episode. Yeah. I wonder if we'll see Vorik. Yeah, who knows? Uh, well, that's next week. How are we going to be doing that episode, Adam? Well, to find out, I'm going to go over to gach.biz slash game, where we keep the game of buttholes, the will of the caretaker, where right now our runabout is pulsing on top of square 43. Mm. That was today's Brone Zone episode. Right. And three squares ahead, we've got a Coconono ep. Six squares ahead of that, a space butthole that would take us to a Coco Nono app. Right, I remember this. We have a one in three chance 
on a Brown Zone episode of having a Coco Nono right afterwards. I like those odds. That's wild stuff. That'll be <laughs> next episode. I'm recording from New York, so <laughs> that'll be interesting. You're required to learn as you play. Roll. Got a die in my hand. Let's see what happens. Do it. Oh, Ben, I rolled a six. <laughs> We've hit the space butthole and we're all the way back down to the second row of the game. It's square 12. Oh, boy. Coco Nono at Ben. Okay. How about that? <laughs> what about that long lost Coco Nono that you never did? Well, in this case, Ben, I'll be uh, doubling up all of my drinks. <laughs> oh, all my drinks will be doubles. <laughs> okay. Wow. How do you feel about that? Intense. <laughs> There's a riddle. Worried. <laughs> uh huh. That'll be fun. Uh, you should make some zombies. Zombies are classically a drink that's for two people. Oh, good idea. Could do that. I haven't had one of those in a while. That's a good drink. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm looking forward to next week's episode. Me too. I'm going to get the groceries for making zombies ahead of time. Yeah, do it. What's in a zombie? Um, Is that coconut milk? I don't think there's coconut milk. It's mostly fruit juice, rum. I think there's a little bit of absinthe. Oh. I don't like absinthe so much. So maybe I'll... Well, it just is like a flavoring. So it's not... It doesn't taste like absinthe. I always half my absinthe in my cocktail recipes. Smart. Get it out of there. So that'll be next week. In the meantime, we got a lot of thanks to pass around. Thanks to the folks who support us on a monthly basis at MaximumFun.org slash join. Getting access to that great bonus content. Uh, we just <laughs> I think we will have just released our Teen Wolf episode when this comes out. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was big fun. Yeah. We reviewed the movie Teen Wolf starring Michael James Fox. It's true. Canonically Star Trek for those red eyes. <laughs> we got to thank Wendy Pretty, our producer. Gotta thank Phil Tilly, our card daddy, who runs the at Greatest Trek accounts on social media. And we gotta thank Adam Ragusia, our original composer, composed the Janeway song on the model of Dark Materia, who composed the original card song, which we're listening to right now. All of us working together to make this great, great thing for Friends of DeSoto. Feels good. With that, we will be back at you next time with another great episode of Star Trek Voyager, an episode of The Greatest Generation Voyager, where Ben and Adam have taken their mental states far from that of a Vulcan by nearly drowning themselves in rum, and doubly so for Adam. Love that idea. Make it so. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.